You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Visit exodusoutdoorgear.com and enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the f- word fingers at checkout. And you're going to save $20 on your purchase on your trail camera purchase of one of the most badass kickass trail cameras on the market visit exodusoutdoorgear.com hopefully everybody is having a great week it's hump day you know it's one of those days where it's you're starting to see a little glimmer of hope through your week right mondays typically suck tuesdays typically suck wednesday you start getting a little bit more optimistic you know you get a little hop in your step you're excited because you know that you only have two more days and then it's uh then it's the weekend and i'm jacked man um i got some i might be doing some deer hunting stuff this weekend but i know next weekend um i'm definitely going to be doing some deer hunting stuff but uh yeah i'm having a great i'm having a great day and i'll tell you why I'm getting excited. I six weeks. I have six weeks until I leave for my elk hunt. So what did I do today? I worked out, right? So I try to work out over my short lunch hour. Um, I I rode two thousand meters. I ran a mile, and then I went back to work. And then after my last meeting, I went to a state park. I put fifty pounds on my uh, my pack that I have, and I walked I think four miles and I'm not joking by the end of it my legs were toast uh, I still I, I'm in the process of breaking out my boots or breaking in my boots and getting in shape for this uh, uh, for this elk hunt that's coming up uh, the first week of September and I feel I'm starting to feel a little bit of pressure so I'm really uh, starting to kick up the cardio 
I'm starting to tone down the sugar. I'm starting to eat a little bit healthy. Uh, and I'm, you know, trying to lose a couple pounds because any weight that's on you is weight that you're carrying. And when you're starting off at 10,000 feet, man, that is, that's 3,000 feet higher than I was on my last elk hunt. And I have this feeling that I, I, I might as well embrace it now that I'm going to get my ass completely kicked on this elk hunt. But it's the kind of kicked where... You walk away from it, even though it's drained every ounce of energy from you, you walk away going, I would do that again anytime. And uh, I guess, man, that's what I'm looking forward to. Now, on today's podcast, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. We're going to be talking with Josh Hebler. He lives in Texas, and we're going to be talking about a variety of topics, talking about a variety of topics that include leasing land, how he goes about finding a lease to hunt, talk about the terrain where he hunts, uh, talk about how he hunts, you know, some strategy, who he shares his properties with, the ins and outs of uh, that, and then we're going to end it with a story of a buck that he hunted for three years well he hunted for two years uh he he gave him the pass on the on the first year he he had an encounter with him and then the next two years he actively hunted him and uh, in 2017 he was able to harvest this beautiful buck and he's going to walk walk us through that story so it's a really awesome podcast and uh i'm excited for you guys to hear it now Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter's Safety Systems. Now, you guys need to go check out Hunter Safety Systems. Um, they have been like a staple in the hunting community for years and years and years. And what do they preach? Safety, right? What do they sell? They sell safety. And I'm telling you right now that you need to go and check out their products, because if you're not using a safety harness by now, you, my friend, are an idiot, and you need to be, uh, especially if you're hunting out of a tree stand. This is a no-brainer. If you have kids, they have uh, products for kids. They have products for hanging stands. They have products for hunting. They have everything you need to, you know, any safety harness type equipment you need to be safe in a tree stand, they have it. So please go check out Hunter Safety Systems uh, website and uh, man, support them because they support this product. And I've been preaching wearing your damn safety harness for God knows how long. And uh, I'm just glad that uh, this partnership worked out. And as soon as they get their new website up and running, you're going to be getting a discount code. And uh, so stick around, pay attention. I'm going to be dropping that hopefully uh, later this month, uh, sometime before July is out or early August. So if you're thinking about buying a, uh, a safety harness and you want to save, maybe wait two or three weeks and I should have a I should have a discount code for you for this upcoming season. You can save a little bit of money. So there's that. Holy cow. Last thing, as always, man, uh, I don't know how long this discount is going to stay active, but you need to go sign up for an annual membership. Use the discount code 9FINGER. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGER. 
uh, with QDMA, and you're going to receive an annual membership for only 25 bucks. That is that's cheap, my friend. And what you get out of it is more than that. It's worth way more than that. So take advantage of that discount. I want to sign up. I'd love to sign up 100 people. I think I'm somewhere around 50 right now uh, with this discount code. I, I want, if you haven't done it, just go do it. And I would love for you to be a part of the QDMA, um, get some information, read up on them, and just be part of a community that is bigger than yourself. This is what conservation is all about. So uh, take advantage of that. And now, finally, people are people are trying to like find the fast forward button when I do my intros. But now we can get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Josh Hibbler. All right, on the phone with me tonight, Mr. Josh Hebler. Did I say that right? Yes, sir. How you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. Like I uh, told you before we uh, we started recording, man, I tell you, this time of year, it's, it's usually pretty brutal hot in Iowa, and uh, this week, and it looks like next week too, are going to be a little bit cooler, uh, below normal temperatures, like high in the 70s, low 80s, and low humidity, so I'll take that all day. Oh, well, here in Texas, it is brutally hot, uh, but that's to be expected. I saw we're going to get a cold front, and instead of a high of 104 like we had today, it'll be 98, <laughs> so that'll be nice. I don't envy you at all. Is it humid down? <laughs> is it humid in Texas where you live? It actually is. Uh, we've been getting decent amount of rain above average rainfall, I would say. Uh, so they rained this morning, so it was good and humid today. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, cool, man. I tell you what, I don't get enough guys on this podcast uh, – who are from on this podcast who are from Texas. So I'm excited to talk uh, with you because I feel like Texas is a whole nother animal when we start talking about whitetail hunting and we're going to get into all that today. But before we, you know, kick off this podcast, why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? Well, I'm from Caldwell, uh, small town, I think 4,000 people. And I work for pipeline company. I'm an instrumentation and automation technician. So you're outside quite a bit. Yes, sir. Yeah. So my question to you is being outside. So I got a buddy. He is in tree service. So what he does is he'll go to a farmer uh, house or someone will call him up and say, Hey man, we want to do a selective cut tree harvest. He'll go in and cut down the trees. And typically if he sees good sign, he'll ask the landowner, Hey man, you mind if I uh, hunt your property? And if they don't have someone else already hunting it, it's, it's almost automatic, right? It's almost automatic for him. Does your job allow you to get on some different properties or I guess see a lot of deer or it get, does the, the travel travel where i get to see a lot of deer uh pretty much to and from work every day i'm seeing deer and hawks and but as far as access to some remote properties you know where a pipeline's running i don't get out there much so i don't get that opportunity but i've thought about it you know hey i'm gonna go ride with one of you guys to talk to the landowner <laughs> i mean you might as well give it a try you might uh <laughs> you f- might find a little sleeper property 
It might. So, all right, Texas, whitetails. It's a big thing down there, just like it is in a lot of states. But like I said earlier, man, I feel like hunting in Texas and maybe relatable in the south a little bit, but, you know, up in the Midwest, it's way, way, way different. So let's talk. uh, That's where I kind of want to start is in Texas is there a lot of private ground or excuse me is there a lot of public ground to go out and hunt or is it mostly private ground hunt clubs big leases that kind of thing it's it's mostly private ground uh, leases not very many hunt clubs out in east texas they do have some and there's not a lot of of public ground uh there's about 3,000 acres here close to where I live, and I'll be hunting it for the first time this year, but that's about right. it in this region. Right. So is uh, where you live on the east side of the state then? It's it's central, east central. East central. Okay. All right. So um, is a majority of the hunting that is done i mean it sounds to me like you either got to go in on some public ground that's uh pretty pressured or you you sign up with a lease with some friends is that typically how it works yeah yeah that's it gotcha all right so here's what i want to know all right because you sent me this huge write-up and i'll be honest i didn't read it all but uh um you mentioned that you had lost a lease right uh what was it last year or the year before several uh this one that one was three years ago we lost that portion and then before that 10 years before that we lost one uh i guess we've lost three three in the past 10 years okay so how does that work then okay so you have a lease somehow you lose it either you decide not to renew it or or they raise the price and you can't afford it or what what typically leads to losing a lease uh for us it's it, the properties have been sold uh, uh the first one when i grew up as a kid we hunted on in hill country uh it was 300 acres and the landowner decided it was time to sell gotcha gotcha and, and is that pretty much how it works? I mean, how it worked for the other properties? Just uh, yes, sir. Okay, so the landowner decides to sell, and the person who's buying is probably a deer hunter. Yes, sir. Two out of the three, he was a deer hunter, and the other one, they sold it to a company. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So you lose a lease. Um, that means you got to find a place to hunt, or you're going to be forced to hunt on public ground. And, you know, obviously you can have your lease and you can have better management or you can go to the Wild West, which is public land. What, how do you approach or how do you go out and find new leases? Uh, we start scrambling. We start spreading word of mouth with everybody that we know that hunts. Hey, we need a lease. If y'all hear of anything uh, here in Texas, Craigslist usually has quite a few. There's a couple of websites, Texas Lease Hunger, uh, I think Texas Whitetails, a couple of websites that landowners are able to post leases for free and then hit the big papers, Houston, Dallas, Austin, 
and search the classifieds. Right, right. So when you when you when you start looking and you start you know digging into properties, I mean, is there something that you're looking for? I'm because I have I've I've seen and heard people who they go on a lease they're they may be desperate because they lost a piece of property right before the hunting season or something like that. And then they have, um, you know, they don't have any property. They, they get a lease and you hear horror stories, right? About, Hey man, I didn't see any mature bucks or I didn't see any big deer or, you know, it wasn't at all what the guy said. How do you go about breaking down and I guess, in order of importance, you know, putting together a list of important things that meet that criteria uh, for you to, I guess, sign a lease. We've, we've been down that road. We've, we've went out and looked at a place and we all knew it when we went out there. It was in a good region for deer numbers, deer densities. Uh, But while we were, you know, looking around on the place, didn't, didn't see any deer and didn't see a lot of deer sign, but we had just lost the lease and we wanted to hunt. We went through with it, put up feeder camera and there were no deer there. Uh, so we kind of got bit. So we got a little bit smart, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, we pretty well know the regions in the state that hold deer. Uh, and a big part of it is going to be money. Now here it's turned into a, a pretty big business leasing your land. Yeah. Uh, so it down to your price range and kind of go from there. Um, try to find, get addresses, look at aerials, uh, similar to how you would scout a public land. Yeah. Okay. So I talked to a guy in Texas a while and he's, he mentioned something similar to what you just said. And it was, he went, and he started a lease or he, he uh, looked at a lease, but the landowner wasn't feeding the deer. And because whitetails in certain parts of Texas rely heavily on food, like on feeders to, you know, they, the, the feeders dried up, no one was feeding them and all the deer left to go to the other properties. Is that something that's kind of a, a big deal down there? That they will, they'll relocate, uh, and it's it's going to depend on region, rainfall that year. Uh, most years, the range conditions are poor for the deer, so they do depend on that, on the feed year-round, supplemental feeding uh, to be there. And if it doesn't and the neighbors across the street have it, that's where they're going. Right, right. So that's just like in Iowa, you don't really have to worry about that. I mean, if you have a farm, uh, unless there's – huge heavy snows late season the deer will disappear but like this time of year i'm not worried because every place has crops and every place has acorns about ready to drop and every place has got you know browse for them so they're you know they're right. going to be there as opposed to what it sounds like if there's a low rainfall year uh, and you're not supplemental feeding your you know uh your herd they're going to relocate yes sir okay. uh a good number of them will relocate. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So what are, what are some things, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned price. How do they do that? Is it a, a price per acre? Is it a, a price per person? Um, how, how do they break down what the cost of a lease will be? 
some of them do it the price per acre, uh, but for the most part, it's a price per person, you know, price per gun, per bow. Uh, and mostly, the most common term is it, it's price per gun. Gotcha. So if uh, you bring on three of your buddies and you guys are going to hunt, uh, he's going to charge you for three people? Yes, sir. Okay. So, and, and then how how many people are on that property? I mean, because it sounds, let's say there's a, a 700 acre property and you want to lease this property. I mean, it would make sense to have, you know, he's going to charge you per, per person. It's almost, it, to me, it sounds like you would, uh, w- you would want to do it by yourself, but it's the price per person kind of equate with the it's number of acres for the overall okay yeah the price per person will end up being what they want to get overall okay. uh so say right now uh if i was going to go lease a place or a place that we have leased in the past it was 400 acres uh thousand dollars per person for four people gotcha is that is and that pretty standard prices, no those prices are non-existent anymore that's that's where i was when we were when i was a kid uh and it's pretty standard now you can expect to pay three thousand per person for at least three thousand dollars a year on a lease just to hunt yes sir man i like i for some reason i can't wrap my head around that i don't i don't know if i could afford to hunt it's it's tough you definitely got to have your priorities straight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now with the, you know, when you find a lease that you like, okay. And you got your group of buddies together and you go in, are you allowed to do any habitat uh, improvement or plant food plots or run more feeders or trim out trees? Or is it something where the landowner gives you a certain list of do's and don'ts or how's that work? Uh, the situation will be different per landowner, uh, but currently we're in a situation now we go out there and do whatever we want. Gotcha. Uh, he knows we're going to take care of the place, and if a landowner sees you, knows you're going to take care of his place, leave it better than you found it, then you'll get along with them, and you'll be able to do, you know, trim trees or, you know, trim out a little section to put in a food plot. They wouldn't have a problem with that. Gotcha. You run into issues with food plots and feeders and things like that with a lot of landowners in texas are grazing cattle Mm. so if you want to put in a food plot you'd be putting up a fence with it gotcha gotcha which just means more money out of your pocket yes sir yeah so just just right off the top of your head without even you know really thinking about it too much how much would you say i'm not talking about archery gear and equipment i'm talking about just your lease price and any type of habitat work you do to that lease. How much, how much do you think you're spending or like feeding your feeders and stuff like that in a, in a given year? Well, 6,000, $6,000 a year. Okay. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Woo. <laughs> I tell you right now, man, I'm glad I live in Iowa uh, for, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I could do it. So, so you, like you said, you have to get your priorities straight. Are you, are you married by any chance? 
I'm not married, but I am engaged. Engaged. Okay. So when you yes, tell sir. when you tell your girlfriend, uh, hey, I spend six thousand dollars, or your fiance, I spend six thousand dollars a year in deer hunting. What <laughs> what is what what does she say about that? Uh, well, I haven't really asked her. No, it's, <laughs> it's been that way since since we've been together. So. She knew that's that's what came with me is I'm gonna be hunting and that's what I spend my money on. And usually, you will know, we'll talk about, hey, I want to get this thing. I actually just bought a hang on a lone wolf for the public land. Said, hey, I want to buy this. Oh, well, go ahead. You never spend money on anything but hunting. So, <laughs> gotcha. All right. So, so she's supportive of it. Okay. Well, that's good. That's what I saved my money for. Right. Right. Okay. So you got this lease now. Um, and what are some of the yearly activities that you do on that to prepare for the upcoming season? Mostly, uh, filling feeders, you know, supplemental feeding. Uh, we feed, we try to feed protein year round and we also have the corn feeders year round and that's the bulk of it. Usually how it's set up is, you know, me, my dad, my brother, and my uncle, we lease this property. And my uncle has his area. My dad has his area. My brother has his own area. And I have my own. Uh, so you kind of just hunt in your, your area. And and that's how it goes. A little bit of scouting. After you scout a few years, you pretty well know the area. Yeah. So How big, how many acres is your area? I'd say mine right now about a hundred. A hundred. Okay. So you're yep. you're you're paying six thousand dollars a year to hunt one hundred acres. Yes, sir. They're about. Yeah. And when you put it like that, Dan, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> I you know, and I hear this a lot from guys in the South, right? It, whether they're on a hunt club or in a lease, everybody kind of stays to their. You know, they have specific areas. Now, do those areas rotate every year or is that something like, hey, Josh, uh, this is your area and this is always going to be your area? For the most part, they kind of stay the same. Okay. Uh, now, now, we did kind of swap around areas. Uh, I was hunting in an area that would be good for for my uncle to start taking his son hunting. It's right by camp. It's a lot more deer there. So I gave them that spot and I took the other spot. But usually, you know, you get that area. What we do is we'll roll dice and whoever rolls high dice gets first pick. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that makes it sound, uh, seem a little bit better because I would hate for, you know, if you're stuck to an area, if I, or let's say I, I was in your shoes and every year, there's a terrain feature that funnels the deer right through this, like, uh, I don't know this it's thicker there, or maybe it's closer to water or whatever. And this guy is killing a big buck every single year. I could see some jealousy, uh, type type of, uh, scenarios erupting. Yeah, there, there could be. And that's one reason as we've always just hunted together, you know, uh, so we're all family Yeah. now. If I'm not hunting and I've got a big buck on my camera, I tell them, hey, guys, y'all need to be sitting in my stand. Now, if it's 
biggest one we've ever seen, then yeah, somebody would probably hunt there. But if it's just, you know, our normal trophy, they would probably just let it go and wait for me to come back and hunt that spot so I can get them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It sounds like you're with family, right? I mean, these other guys who I've talked to, they don't even know the, the people that they're hunting with. And if they come into the lease or to the hunt club, last they're getting the shittiest part of the property to hunt right right and then they the only way they get the better property is if someone ahead of them drops out then they move up you know what i mean yes sir man and we've always been lucky enough to where we find the property we lease the full property and it's us only hunting it right uh knock on wood right okay hopefully we keep that going Right. So let's talk about the terrain features on the properties that you hunt. Um, the, the vegetation, the terrain, you know, break it down for us. Well, we've, we pretty much just have hunted in the hill country. That's where we've always leased the lease costs is less there than say the South Texas, uh, scattered live oaks, uh, a lot of acorns, you know, October, and cactus, prickly pear cactus, cedar trees, mesquite trees. That's kind of all mixed in on our property. Uh, I'd say our property right now is 80% woods and 20% open. Okay. Uh, so not a lot of not a lot of wood or not a lot of openings, and it's rocky. It's the hill country, rocky soil. Uh, we got one big ridge that runs through the place. Well, that's a deer travel down. Gotcha. So are, are the, the, I guess the hunting locations on your farm, are they, I mean, are you guys hunting directly over feeders or uh, water or are do you have tree stands or do you hunt out of blinds? This year was my first year I hunted out of a blind for, for bow hunting. Okay. Uh, we've been predominantly bow hunting now for 12 years uh so other than the youngsters coming up hunting we all use bows uh and the trees the live oaks they're not tall enough to get a hang on or a climber in uh, you put one you'd be six foot off the ground with no cover <laughs> so we've we've made tripods uh and we'll set them up back them up into up against the trunk and in the cover of the tree and just trim out our shooting lane. So that's that's mostly what our setups look like. Gotcha. As far as feeders, yes, we, we do hunt over feeders. And I guess it's not as easy as it sounds. Right. Yeah, I've heard, and I've definitely uh, heard that before. So talk to us about, about that, you know, because in the Midwest, you know, we can't bait. A lot of states you cannot bait. Um, I know Ohio you can Iowa, you can't. Um, there's other states where you can't. But everybody, you know, before I was educated, I would think, hey, man, all they're doing down in Texas is just sitting over a feeder, and that's it. Tell me tell me why that's not so easy, as it sounds. Well, one, uh, over the years, uh, hunting pressure, there's, there's probably 100 every 40 acres on the property surrounding us, 40, 50 acres. They all have feeders. We all have feeders. And those deer get wise of those feeders. Ah, yeah. Uh, and, ex- 
especially when you're trying to bow hunt, you know, you got to be within comfortable distance, 40 yards or less. And those deer are going to come down one of those feeders every time. Right. So that makes it very tricky. Right. So do you get, you know, this year you said uh, you hunt, did some hunting in a blind. Were you getting busted a lot because of that, that fact? Well, I was in my tripod before and I was actually hunting a particular deer and didn't get on him, never saw him. He shows up on cameras when I'm not there and I'm there. He doesn't show up at all. And he was, he was pretty well regular. And this has happened to me twice on this property. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to buy me a blind, enclosed blind windows, and I'm going to sit in the warmth while it's cold. And what I do, I run my Ozonics in there. I keep the windows closed except for my main shooting window. And I don't think I got busted at all this year. Okay. Yeah, I've heard a lot of guys do that with uh, Ozonics. So uh, typically you're hunting kind of do you always try to hunt downwind of the feeder i mean how do these deer approach these feeders are they taking big loops coming in or are they jay hooking or are they coming straight to it most of the time they'll jay hook you know the area that they're generally going to come from or that they're bedding uh but depending on the wind they're going to jay hook downwind uh a lot of times you'll see them, you know, especially the old does. The old mature does will get downwind of you and start blowing and blowing and blowing and never stop. But I'd say within 50, 60 yards, they'll make a J-hook downwind of that feeder. Gotcha. So is that pretty much a, a tactic that most of you guys use uh, throughout the, the bow hunting season is to hunt over a feeder or – you know, when the rut hits, are, are you changing it up a bit? For the most part, we will. You know, the biggest tactic is hunting over a feeder. Uh, and the way we set them up, we set them up. We try to set them up west of a feeder. We'll set up on the west side. The wind's less likely to be coming from the west. Uh, and if it is, it's only going to be there for a short period because of the cold front. But... And we'll set up west, and we'll hunt the feeders, especially if you have a good group of does coming in there. Gotcha. Um, sometimes as the year goes on, or the hunting season goes on, they actually get used to your scent being around there, so you can get some does in front of you. But them old does, they just, they'll they'll ruin your hunt every time. <laughs> it's almost like if you get close enough, you want to take, take one of them out, no matter what. Yes, yes sir. So, so as far as rut, rut hunting, you know, we'll, we'll rattle, we'll, we'll sit in travel corridors, either on the ground in a pop-up or move a tripod to a certain area for deer crossing, pinch points, gotcha. that sort of thing. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about what you're looking for throughout, no, one second before I get into that. What about trail cameras? How do you use trail cameras on your property? For the most part, we do. We put them over the feeder, uh, and it gives you a good inventory. You're going to know what's there. They might be coming in at night. Say a mature buck, he might use that feeder mostly nocturnal, but uh, you do get a good inventory of what's there. We've set some up on you know trails, fence crossings, uh, 
heavy trails along the ridge. We've tried that, and you get you get pictures, but we we get better and more pictures, you know, on the feeders. Right, absolutely. That's a no brainer, if you ask me. I mean, even uh, you know, yeah. even uh, during the like this time of year, you know, that's why I put, have mineral stations out. It is because yeah. to try to get uh, the most or the highest number of pictures I possibly can to get an inventory of the deer that are in, in the area. So are the deer, especially the mature bucks, right? The, the big mature bucks that everybody wants to kill. Do they seem to follow the lead of the does or are they kind of on their own pattern when it comes to, you know, visiting these feeders? Oh, they're, they are their own animal. Uh, it's, very seldom you catch a mature buck, you know, the shooters that we want to shoot at a feeder. Uh, you might catch them coming by to check for does or catch them running a doe in there, but very seldom will he just come out when the feeder goes off and put his head down to start eating. Yeah, yeah. Pretty wary. Yeah. Gotcha. Unless what? Unless it's uh, nighttime, uh, then they they probably feel more comfortable at that point. Oh, you'll get pictures of them at night, and it'll drive you crazy. <laughs> I can imagine. Now, <laughs> let's talk about the quality uh, the, of deer that you're after every year, because you sent me some pictures, and I know that the body size in Texas is a little bit or is smaller than you know up north where i'm at but these racks man you got some you got some pretty big antler deer so talk to us a little bit about what you are personally after or i don't know do you come together with everybody else on the lease and you say hey we're not going to kill this deer this year we're going to let him walk or we're we're going to hold off for a big deer or or what's that conversation like yeah we do uh we're going through the pictures and mainly it's me and my brother we we get all the all the cards, plug them in the computers and save the pictures we want and go through it. Show my, show my dad, uncle, and we kind of all agree. We've got the same management philosophy. Uh, typically up till now, we've always hunted a shoot one bigger than the last one. Uh, so make it bigger than the last one you've killed. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that after this past season. So <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to him about the rules. Right. Are the two, well, the two, we're de- looking for, are the two deer that you shot this year, uh, of the pictures that you sent me, are, are they from this past year, both from this past year? I think one of them was 2013. The other was this past year. Okay. All right. So are you looking for age class? You looking for rack size? How, how are you breaking that down? We're looking, we're looking for age class. We, we try to let them get five or six, uh, and both deer I sent you, they're both six, according to our knowledge. Uh, and then we are looking for, for rack size. And that's, hey, if a, if a four-year-old comes out and he's bigger than anything I ever killed before, then I'm going to take that four-year-old. I'm not going to give him two years for somebody else to get it. Right. Okay. So it's, it's, it's like age class unless they're bigger than what you've already shot. Exactly. Okay, cool. So, and, and that's totally cool with everybody else on your lease. If those, those, uh, I guess, same regulations. Yes, sir. And on this property, I think we've been here seven years and I'm the only one who's killed a buck off the property. 
So, gotcha. Maybe they want to shuffle up the areas like we were talking earlier, or change the rule book or something. But so is that because there, you know, you guys have really stringent, uh, I guess, rules about what it is they shoot, or are they just not getting opportunities at the the deer that are on that property? We're just just not getting the opportunities with the deer around. Uh, I'd say that that golden number we're kind of looking for is that 135 plus range, 140 is what everybody's holding out for. And we'll get we'll get trail cam pictures of a deer like that. Uh, but the only two consistent deer that we've had, uh, I was lucky enough to be the one to take both of them, gotcha. and it just just happened that way. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to talk about this this deer you shot last year. Um, how wide is he, first of all? He is a little bit over 20, 20 and a half. Okay, he's 20 and a half inches wide. That's a pretty wide deer. He looks like he's 50 inches wide <laughs> from the picture. Oh, that, the, the, big the one of them I sent you, he's 22 and a half. Oh, 22 and a half. Is that, that's the buck you shot this past year? The wider one, I killed him in 13. In and, 2013. Uh, the one that scored more, he's not quite as wide, but I killed him this past year. Gotcha. And he's the darker racked buck, it looks like. 10? He's yes, a, sir. He's a mainframe 10? Slick 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I want to talk about that 10-pointer. Why don't you tell us the entire story of him uh, from the first time you ever laid eyes on him or got trail camera pictures of him to the time that you harvested well, I think the the first time we seen saw him was either in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, or 13. Anyway, uh, I was sitting, we were sitting in a blind, ground blind, and rifle hunting. And my fiance was going to take her first deer, and it just so happened about nine o'clock, this deer came out, and she got excited, and I could tell she was excited, kind of starting to shake. And I looked at him through the binoculars and, you know, two-year-old, eight-point, and he had kickers. They weren't long enough to be scoreable, but they were they were good kickers off his bases. And I shook my head no. And I, I still kind of feel bad about telling her she can't shoot him. But we passed and talked about it. She agreed, you know, he is a young kid. So that brings us to the next year in that same area, uh, we were running trail cameras over a feeder and got velvet pictures of a, a typical 10 with kickers off both bases, making him a 12, a real pretty deer. We figured, you know, he was a three-year-old. And at the time, I didn't connect the dots that that was the deer that we had seen previously. Uh, and we weren't hunting that deer, but we were looking for him. You know, we wanted to know where he was at, make sure he kind of stayed around, try to keep him safe. And he came by my dad's stand around mid-October, and after that, we didn't see him. And we, of course, we expected the worst. We figured somebody shot him. He was a very pretty dude, uh, bigger than anything that we had seen in his age class. And so next season rolls around. Nobody killed anything that season. Next season rolls around, and... We had lost part of the property. Uh, it was owned by a couple brothers, and one brother was had to sell 
well, he sold a portion of his property and we actually hunted that property. That's where all our big deer were. That's where we had the best can pictures, all the most deer. So we had to relocate uh, some of our stands, feeders, camp. And the area I relocated to was just off the edge of the ridge. And it's a big cedar thicket along this ridge. And I got in a natural lane. It's about 200 yards long by 40 yards wide. I got in this lane and set up a feeder there, set up my tripod, and it kind of transitioned into a big live oak and mixed cedar thicket. So after after that season, uh, you know, it was a good spot. I was seeing quite a few deer, uh, and we never had pictures of this 10 pointer with the two kickers uh, that we had seen the previous year. But our landowner kept telling us the hunters on the neighboring property were seeing a 12 pointer. And we figured based off of his description, that was him. Uh, so he had moved off of us went to our neighbors. And, and he was a, he was a 12 pointer and are you're counting the, the kickers, right? Yes, sir. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so so was this was this this past year or the year before? That was the year before last. Okay, all right. So he moved off your property. He he was spending some time at the neighbors. Yes, sir. That was 2015, and we did end up getting uh, getting pictures of him. Uh, a couple late pictures. We knew he had made it through. I think they were in February, so he had made it through the season. Uh, got pictures of him eating at one of our feeders so we were excited coming into the next season uh that he was still around so that's that was 2015 so 2016 now i'm hunting in the same area uh right off the edge of that ridge and i started getting pictures of well actually i didn't uh i didn't have a camera running until late I think I put it up in September. Bow season opened October 1st. So I went into opening morning with not knowing what was going to be in the area. Uh, we actually had camera issues and the cows had broken into my feed pen. Uh, so I had a bunch of deer ran out of there and broke my camera. So I put up a new camera in September and I went in open up morning not knowing what to expect. So I saw, I think I saw 12 bucks that, that day, opening day. Uh, I had a morning sit and an afternoon sit. But when at lunchtime, when I pulled the camera from the card, was on my way in the camp, got the camp, plugged the card in the computer. And, of course, I start at the most recent picture my way back, trying to get the most recent information. And that morning, I believe I got to the stand at 6.10, at 6.03, this big 10-pointer with a couple-inch kicker off his base was there at my feeder. And I had bumped him walking in there. Oh, man. And I said, I... Didn't know what to expect going in there because I had camera problems and I bumped him and 
So I was going to get smart. So I got I to gotta hunt smarter. I got an Ozonics, started using Ozonics. And it was when I wasn't there, he would show up, you know, a few days out of the week. But when I was there, he was never there. And that continued. That trend continued until closer to the end of October, and he disappeared completely. Uh, and we were worried again. You know, somebody, he went to a neighbor's property, they shot him. Or... So, so I was worried there really weren't any other deer on our hit list. Uh, he was the only consistent one and the only trophy, I would say. So I, uh, I kind of started backing out. I would get there really, really early, way before the deer. Uh, an hour before anybody else and would try that get there early leave later and try all day sits trying to outsmart this deer and i couldn't so i kind of eased off that area started hunting other areas thought well hey this pressure is getting to him and he still never had pictures of him never saw him so i figured he was gone like gone, like well, been shot, or gone to just disappeared for a while. Well, I, I figured gone is in shot. Okay. Uh, I knew at that time. I knew the neighbors uh, had pictures of him and were after him, which I don't blame them. I was after him too. Uh, so they were they were after him, and I hadn't seen him. It was it had been over right at about a month. I think my last picture was October 21st, uh, 2016, and I didn't see him again until November 20th. And we were, that was a Sunday, and we already had everything packed up to leave, to leave, head back home. You know, it's a three-hour drive. So it was about 1 o'clock, and so well, I'm going to go put this camera out on the other end of the property. And maybe we can see something, you know, in that area crossing or using that area. Well, on the way there, a doe runs out in front of the truck. And this buck runs out right behind her into the woods. And I didn't get to see him, but for that brief couple of seconds. But there's no deer that has that frame that I knew of in the area. And I said, I told my fiance she was with me. That's him. That's got to be him. So I went and put the camera out, and the whole time, wheels are turning in my head. What do I do? What do I do? Do I stay hunt this afternoon? So I asked Kayla, I said, you want to hunt this afternoon? Yeah, we can if you want to. So, okay, where do I hunt? He's on the complete opposite end. Uh, we, did, we had a pop-up line on that end of the property, but there's a lot of hogs over there, and... Didn't know if that would be a good spot for him. I knew the homes would be in there that afternoon. Hoops keep the deer in and out. Um, so I asked her, I said, well, what do you think the odds are of us being able to rattle him up? We just saw him run into the thicket up the ridge. And he's in there with the hot dough. Uh, we probably won't be able to rattle him off that dough, but maybe we can try. So that's what we did. We went back to camp, 
put on a camo, got my bow out, got my rattling horn, scrap tube, and we went and sat out where we had last saw him. About 200 yards away, there's a there's a pond, a stock pond, and we set up on it's a high dam, kind of a bluff. Erosion coming off that ridge had created, and we set up there. Now, this is how excited I was. I didn't care anything about wind direction or none of that. I was tunnel vision, and I want to rather win this deer, but I'm not going to think nothing about the setup, but I'm going to try to do it. Right. So we were setting up, had my bow, arrow on, bow leaned up against the tree, about 60 yards, just on the other side of the, of the pond, the dam. This buck and two other bucks were hot on that doe, running their heart. They ran to the opposite end of the pond and then into the woods. So we grab our stuff. We head to that end of the pond, wind hitting us back of our necks, and we didn't feel it at all. But Kayla had never rattled before. Uh, she was new to hunting. I think this was, was her second year hunting. So I said, well, I'll, I'll rattle a few minutes, kind of show you how, how to do it, and then I'll let you rattle, and I'll be ready with my bow. I rattled for about a minute and a half, and I hear her behind me, but whispering loud. Uh, and I stop rattling. I reach for my bow, my hand's on my bow, and 19 yards in front of me, he's standing there staring at me. <laughs> And he's, he's staring at me like a cow staring at a new gate. And he don't know what's going on. There's supposed to be deers in fighting, but I just see this blob sitting there. And about that time, this is when I realized the wind hit me in the back of the neck. And we didn't see him the rest of the season. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's, so that was, 2000, was a heartbreaker. that was 2016. Yes, sir. That was 16. Okay. How big was he? Uh, just so everybody can kind of get an idea and paint the picture. He was, he was a slick 10. Well, I'll say slick 10, symmetrical 10. He had a two and a half inch kicker off his left base. He didn't have one that year on his right base. Like he had in previous years, but you know, right after 19, 20 inches wide. And we actually found one of the sheds, uh, the shed with the kicker, the left kicker, uh, and matching it up to the other side, which he was pretty well symmetrical, he would have been 142. 142. Okay. All right. So yes, 142, pretty much a clean 10. All right. So now that was the last you saw him in 2016. When was the first time you saw him in 2017? 2017, uh, after the season, season ended first weekend of January. And kind of our first picture of him on January 13th. And he was, he looked bad. He was very poor, run down from the rut. He had a big scar just in front of his, of his hindquarter. And it looked like a hole. I don't know if he was shot. It didn't look like there was a exit hole on the other side, uh, which there should have been for a flank shot. But, or if it was, he got gorded by another deer. But he didn't have that when I saw him when we rattled him up that day. Uh, so he was he was in bad shape. So I ended up getting a protein feeder, a free choice, 
cedar, four spouts on it, holds 15 sacks, 15, 50-pound sacks of protein, put it over there, filled it up, then he became a regular. And that's I got pictures of all of them all the way until he lost his shits. And like I said, we did find one of them. Uh, so I was excited. Um, we let the cameras run out um, to about March and deer shed. We didn't put them back out uh, until the following uh, around this time, July. Uh, and I had a couple pictures of what looked like was going to be a big 10 pointer, but he didn't have kickers. And like I said, I only had a couple of pictures. Uh, and going into the season, he was, he started showing up in the mornings there late September, showing up pretty regular in the mornings. Okay. So opening morning, I told myself, Hey, I bumped him out of there last year in the morning. I'm not going to hunt in the morning. And they, they, my dad, brother, they thought I was crazy. And I said, guys, we know we bumped deer going into these stands. I know I bumped that deer going into this stand last year. I'm not going to hunt in the morning. I'm going to go at 1 o'clock. I'm going to go to my stand. 1 o'clock in the morning. And I, uh, 1, 1 p.m. Oh, to go okay. to the stand for that afternoon. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, whoa! <laughs> I've, I've heard of guys doing it. I know. But I, uh, I said, I'm not going to hunt mornings. I'll go, I'll leave camp, go to my stand one in the afternoon, and just hunt till dark. And that's what I did. And, man, in that enclosed blind, it gets hot. Uh, it's basically a poly tank blind with windows. And it cooks you in there. It's like a sauna. Yeah. So I hunted, hunted, and hunted. And what's, what was happening is, and I kind of finally figured this out almost too late, but south wind, southeast wind was blowing my scent right over to that ridge where that ridge kind of dropped off to a point on our property. Big cedars, no underbrush, perfect spot for a deer to bed. And like I've heard many and many times uh, on different podcasts, is and especially Dan and Falk or any of the beast hunters is deer in the bed, the wind to his back, on a point, looking away. You know, looking downwind, and that's what he was doing. I never, you know, talked in on his bed, but just based off the trail cam pictures, he was always there. It was a southeast wind. Never had pictures of him on a north wind. And he always seemed to disappear, you know, looking back at previous year's pictures, he was always disappearing around the first good cold front uh, in October. And so I kind of figured that one out a little bit too late. Right. Uh, so I, I just continued my plan. I'm not going to hunt mornings. I'm not going to bust them out of there. I think the last picture I got of him this past season was October 6th or 7th, something like that. Uh, and he disappeared and weren't getting pictures of him, but I was confident. So, Hey, nobody shot him last year. You gotta be confident. Nobody shot him last year. He made it. So wherever he went, he was safe. And then he'll be safe now. 
Okay. And I kept hunting them. Uh, just trying to lighten up the pressure in that area. And I knew that was a core area, you know, from February all the way to September, October. And that's where he lived. So he'd be back. Right. Um, so it was, it come around December and I was starting to get, I was starting to question the plan a little bit. Now, I passed up a couple other deer, uh, not as big as this one, not as big, but good, old, mature books. So I passed them up, waiting for this one particular deer. And come early December, and hadn't got anything, hadn't even shot a deer. And I was, I was like, well, I'm going to shoot something. Uh, and it was right after the christmas break i had a monday and tuesday off and my fiance she actually had friday and monday off uh, so she said well why don't you take off from work and you know we'll go to the deer lease friday and just come back you know for christmas the truck loaded up before she could change her mind <laughs> which she wouldn't but but you didn't have to tell me twice. I loaded everything up, and we went to the deer lease. Yeah. And that was on December 20th. All right. Or the 21st. Anyway, the next, that first morning, you know, we got there night and loaded. We were in bed about midnight. And I'd looked at the weather. Cold front coming in tomorrow morning. It's going to be good. Well, it's that cold front blew in some rain in front of it. So when I woke up the next morning, it was raining. It was a pretty good rain. And the wind was starting to switch. Uh, it was starting to swing toward the west. And that cold front was coming. It was 63 when I got up. And I went and you know, got all my gear together, got everything ready, got dressed. Woke up my fiance, asked her if she wanted to go. She heard the rain. And she just rolled back over. <laughs> so, so I, I don't blame you at all because right. she would have. I was I was going to enclosed barn, her area as a tripod. Oh, so boy. I don't blame her at all. And you weren't even going to give your fiance <laughs> the blind. Oh, well, she could sit with me anytime. Uh, <laughs> she had done it before. Uh, but with it raining, you know, she she decided to just go back to sleep. You know, getting to move in the rain, which I love hunting in the rain. Yeah. And so I walk back there. It's raining. The ground's wet. I'm completely quiet going in there. Uh, the winds, you know, west northwest at this time, and it's actually blowing from that bedding area to my face as I'm walking in instead of normally the dominant wind taking it southeast to the northwest right to where they're bedded. Uh, so everything's perfect. Rain is going to wash anything else away. And I got into the stand. I didn't make a bump or extra noise or nothing. It was perfect access. And that morning, well, they got light enough to see through binoculars. So I 
his head was down. He picked it up. I saw him in the binoculars. And then my binoculars fogged up, so I began the process of glass, wipe off the binoculars, glass, wipe them off. And how far away was uh, he when you first saw him? He was right about 40 yards. Okay, 40 yards. So he's close. He was close. Okay. And it was still, you know, cloud cover, slightly raining, and it wasn't light enough inside my blind. It was legal shooting light, but not light enough inside my blind for me to be able to see, to, you know, acquire my shoot. So I'm sitting here waiting, and I think it was like 710-ish, and I'm waiting. I got my bow on my knee, got the release clipped on, hurry up and wait. I knew any minute he was just going to ease on out of there. But luck would have it. He held on just long enough, and I got tired of waiting. So about 20 minutes into the wait, I opened one of the other windows in my blind to try to let in a little bit more light. And when I did that, it let out a creek. And he jerked his head up, started looking my direction. And, oh, I just blew it. I thought I just blew it. But he turned, kind of put his head down, ate a little bit, and started quartering away and kind of working away from me. And I drew back. He was 29 yards, and I let him have it. And I watched him. He jumped. Did a big kick, ran about 15 yards, and stopped. I was like, what the heck? I never had a deer stop and look back. And I, at first I thought I'd missed, and then I, I saw it pumping, blood pumping out of the boiler room. And he went about five, five more yards and laid over, and it was it was a perfect heart shot. So you saw him fall over. And at this point, you knew it was the buck you'd been chasing for all those years, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I've got the watching through the binoculars long enough to. All right. So as, was him. as you walk up on him and bend over and, t- you know, pick up his rack for the first time ever, what kind of thoughts were going through your head? Well, at first, I was really excited. You know, I was sitting in the blind and I could see him. And I shot him at 20 yard, 29 yards, and he was laying 47 yards from me. And I was excited. I texted everybody, you know, the hunting group and said, hey, I got him. I just got him. And everybody's congratulating me, and I'm still sitting there shaking knees, knocking. Uh, the rain kind of let up a little bit, and I got out of the blind, went over there, walked over to him. And it wasn't, it wasn't ground shrinkage. I've had several do that. They shrink a little bit when you walk up to him, but no, he grew. He was bigger than what we thought he was. And I pick him up, you know, start taking some pictures of him there. And I head back to camp to get my fiance and get the truck. And walking, you know, walking back to back to camp, uh, you know, what what do you do now? You know, yeah, I've just been chasing this deer, got four years of history from him, from a two-year-old all the way to a six-year-old. I was finally lucky enough to get on him. But, you know, what do I do now? You know, it was kind of sad that the journey ended. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's crazy. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty cool story uh, because 
just because you had a feeder, right? It didn't mean shit. This buck was smart enough to know that, you know, you were coming in and he wasn't going to stick around, right? He was, he was, he was down or he was downwind of you and he busted you, uh, every time. And then you, you know, you made that adjustment and you became successful. I love hearing stories like that, man. So congratulations. I appreciate it. It was, it was fun. I, I learned a lot, you know, listening to these podcasts and, you know, you and, and Wired to Hunt and the guys y'all had on y'all's podcast. I've learned a ton and I've, I've slowly, you know, started to apply some of that, you know, Hey, you gotta, you gotta watch your access. And that's my biggest thing now. You gotta watch your access. Absolutely. And I was able to prove it there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, real quick, do you got any uh, any up and comers that you're excited to see what they do this year? Got one, uh, and last year he was borderline a typical seven by seven. Uh, he was seven on one side, six on the other. Now he was probably mid mid one thirties. Uh, he had broken off one of his times. And he actually had a kicker that made him a seven by seven, but it looks like there was some palmation. Like he might want to be a typical seven by seven. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, let me be the first to wish you good luck this upcoming season and uh, congrats again on uh, your 2017 buck. Hey, I appreciate it, Dan, and good luck to you. And I appreciate you having me on. And there you have it. Your hump day podcast is in the books. Huge shout out to Josh for hopping on the podcast and chatting with us today, sharing some uh, Texas stat strategy and uh, stories as well. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Appreciate every episode that you guys listen to. If you haven't listened to all the podcast, man, I know the Nine Finger Chronicles has personally done over 300, maybe over 350 knocking on 400's door podcasts, but there's just way more on the Sportsman's Nation than just the Nine Finger Chronicles. You got the Land and Legacy, uh, you got Southern Ground, you got Son Outdoors. I mean, I, I, I don't even, I can't even name them. Transition Wild, uh, DIY Sportsman backcountry and i think okay i think that's all of them now but anyway go check out the sportsman's nation uh, go to sportsmansnation.com and uh dude podcasts blogs um i'm getting ready to make some big time moves and, okay i gotta shut this down i'm going crazy have a great rest of your week please be safe when you're in a tree and our good friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to do so, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.